Lonely song, the songs for you. Some days I'm more amazed than others at how widely we miss the mark when it comes to understanding esoteric ideas. Every once in a while, I think, no way, really? That you really think that? You, that's what you got from that? And it's not new. I've experienced this for years and years and years. When people would read some passage of the Bible, God hates fags, and I would, you know, and I would think, of course, that's not a passage of the Bible, but that's what they get from it. And I think, really, you you missed all the rest of it about love one another and love your enemies and pray for people, and you missed all that and forgiveness and don't judge, and you missed all that, but you picked up this one thing, and you use this one thing as a club, a gun, a knife, a bomb, so that you can do harm. To other human beings who are trying to find their way, that's amazing to me. Yet, it doesn't amaze me all the time. It's just some days it catches me off guard, and I'm more amazed than other days at how widely we miss the mark when it comes to understanding these ideas. Now that we've got this、uh, Occupy movement going on, it's a really big thing, I guess. You're seeing it everywhere. Occupy this, Occupy that, Occupy. Started with Occupy Wall Street, didn't it? And now it's Occupy everything. You know, it's like. It's just incredible. So I was reading about this, and here's what I came up with in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 27. There's this story that I'd like to read to you. A ruler questioned him, Jesus, saying, "Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone." Okay, we need to get this. If Jesus, who was a pretty good guy, was unwilling to allow someone to call him good and was unwilling to give that to His personality. Then, how much more should we be unwilling to be called good? Not only are we not unwilling to be called good, we go around sucking for it. <laughs> we go around preening and moving and posturing for it to try and get people to think well of us. We put on makeup and do our hair and get dressed up and buy cars and houses and go to social clubs and do this and do that so that people will think we're good. But he says, "Why do you call me good?" No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments: don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, "All these things I have kept from my youth." When Jesus heard this, he said to him, "One thing you still lack: sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me." But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, "How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God! For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." They who heard it said, "Then who can be saved?" But he said, "The things that are impossible with people are possible with God." Well, that's one of the accounts of that incident. For years, people have used this to criticize, judge, and condemn the rich, and. That's not what it's for, and we know that's not what it's for, because he also says clearly in many places, "Don't judge." I give you one commandment: love one another, love God, and love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all of the law and all the prophets hangs on this. This is the most important thing. So, if that's the most important thing, then using this to criticize, judge, and condemn the rich must not be what it's for. So then, it must be for something else. Now, small being ensures we'll see everything in a tiny, myopic way. With all the Occupy stuff that's going on these days, what follows now could be an annoying truth for some people. So, if you're politically active and 
the Occupy movement is something that you have a lot of identification in, you might want to turn this off now if you even made it this far. <laughs> the same story is told in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. And it reads in this account, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this one adds, Love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You will have a treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, Then who can be saved? It's also found in Mark. And just to round things out, we'll read that also. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. But at these words he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Jesus looked around at the crowd and his disciples, and he said, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? With people it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. All right, so that's our story from three different perspectives, three different points of view. And you can see how easily someone who's got an axe to grind against the rich can use that to grind their axe, to stir up negative emotions, to judge, to lift themselves up. If they're not rich, then they're going to get into the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And if they are rich, well, then... You know, this is hogwash. They aren't reading it anyway, or whatever. The thing is, with each one, they have a different taste. But you can only taste the difference if you cleanse your palate. If you've still got a bad taste in your mouth about rich people, for whatever reason, and I have met people who hate the rich, just hate them. And anybody is rich who's got more than them. That's what I mean by bad taste in your mouth. That's a mouthful of bad. But you can just have a bad taste in your mouth and it will color everything that you taste. So you need to cleanse your palate, first of all. Cleanse your emotional center, which is what this work is all about, which, which is what esoteric Christianity is all about, though you'd never know it from exoteric Christianity. Exoteric Christianity seems to be about hating and judging and condemning. But esoteric Christianity isn't. It's about loving. Loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. So throwing stones at the rich or anyone else isn't new. It's cyclical like everything else in mechanical life. But it's still mechanical. 
Whether it's cyclical or not, it's still mechanical. Because esoteric teachings are about your internal world, we miss the mark when we make it about outer exoteric things. We lose meaning that could nourish our souls. So that we're worried about the rich, people who have money or property. When we're worried about that, when we're taking valuable pearls like these ideas and wasting them on exoteric things, we're losing meaning that could nourish our souls. If the story isn't about rich bashing, what's the point? Why bother with it? The point of the story is the esoteric teaching about identification. This is about identification. It's not about money. It's not about wealth. It's not about property. It's not about social status. Gurdjieff said, identifying is the greatest enemy that we have to overcome. It is through being always identified that we are kept asleep and therefore have to live in a world where nothing can ever go in the right way as regards the interests of man. Why is it that no matter what we do on this planet, it doesn't work? Remember the League of Nations? Of course, you don't remember the League of Nations, but if you remember your history about the League of Nations, it was the League of Nations was all these nations got together and the whole idea was world peace. Well, that didn't work out and that was disbanded. Then they came up with the United Nations. Same thing. How's that working out? It's not working out at all. So, Gurdjieff's point is nothing can ever go in the right way as regards the interests of man. And it's because of this. It's because of identification. Why is it that these countries can't agree? Why is it that these countries can't seem to come together? Identification. Identification with their nationality. Identification with their history. Identification with their people. Identification with their geography. Identification. In this story, the rich man can't enter the kingdom of heaven. He can't be complete. He can't complete himself. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, the kingdom of heaven is the conscious circle of humanity. What makes it the conscious circle? An ever-expanding consciousness. I've told you before, what is the kingdom of heaven? It's an expanding state of consciousness. It's a constantly expanding state of consciousness. It's not cutting things out. It's not contracting. It's not stopping. It's expanding all the time. It's expanding in understanding. It's expanding in light. It's expanding in love. It's expanding in life. It's expanding all of the time. That is the kingdom of heaven. Now, Morris Nichols says, in the full sense, the kingdom of heaven means the seventh circle. And he's referring to man number seven, the fully conscious man, a man who has crystallized in full consciousness. So in other words, he can't fall back. You know how you can become conscious, you can be more conscious one moment and less conscious the next? Well, that can't happen with man number seven. He is crystallized in a fully conscious state. So he's there. He owns it. It's his. It belongs to him. Where our understanding fails us is in realizing that mechanical man has nothing whatever to do with the conscious circle of humanity. Absolutely nothing. This is incomprehensible to us because all we know is mechanical. All we know is mechanical men. And if anyone talks to us about the conscious circle of humanity, they have to be doing it from the mechanical circle of humanity. And they have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with the conscious circle of humanity. So we're kind of in a bind when you look at it that way. All esoteric teachings share a common goal of connecting mechanical man with conscious man. The whole point of all of this, the whole point of esoteric Christianity, the whole point of all of this is to connect mechanical man with conscious man. To what end? What is the purpose of connecting mechanical man with conscious man? I mean, it's obviously a huge aim when you consider how mechanical we are. 
and how far from consciousness, from real consciousness we are. Now since the higher cannot be brought down to the lower, the lower has to be brought up to the higher. What's the point if we're going to take conscious man and drag him down into our mud hole? That's not going to work. That's not the point. We do it all the time. I mean, that's what assassination is. That's what persecution is. It's pulling down the higher to our own level. It's using the literal exoteric facts to stone the higher esoteric truth. It's or to crucify it or to put it to death in some way, to somehow null it and void it so that we can remain mechanical and not have to have this conscious business hanging over our heads like something that we have to do, like there's something more that we actually have to do to become fully developed. And we don't like that idea. So the best thing to do is to destroy what is higher and that way we don't have to worry about reaching it. We must occupy higher states of consciousness is what this is really saying. Rather than attempting to pull them down to us, we must leave where we are and occupy something else. Occupy higher states of consciousness. But all of our friends and relations are here. But our business is here and our home is here and all the things we love and all the good foods and all this and all that. Why should we leave this for that? You shouldn't unless you wish to develop. All this is made possible through the inner development of the lower. That would be us. Inner development of the lower, that means our inner development. We are the lower. We are part of the mechanical circle of humanity. We're not part of the conscious circle of humanity. We have absolutely nothing to do with the conscious circle of humanity. And if you look at it, look at your life, if you will look at your life honestly, sincerely, you will see that it's all about the things that you have in the five senses. It's all about that. The little bit of time that you can section off, that you can set aside for spiritual effort is tiny. If you can come up with 10%, 10% of your day for spiritual aims, for spiritual endeavors, then you're meditating what? 2.4 hours a day. And how well are you doing that? And that's just the minimum, the bare minimum. Can you really expect to take 10% of your day and develop spiritually with only that much? I mean, you can expect maybe not to fall back anymore, but I don't know if it's fair to expect yourself to be able to go forward with that, to be able to make progress with that, unless you consider not going back progress, and I do. If you're not going back, that's progress, because the most natural thing in the world is to go back, and I mean the most natural thing in the world. Among the most difficult kinds of work on ourselves is separating from the horrible state of always being identified. Think about it. When are we not identified? Yeah. Jesus put it another way. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit means somebody who's not identified. They're not attached to all this stuff. You see, because when you're attached, you think you are part of it. What was it with the rich young man? What was it with him? When we identify, we're not in a position to give ourselves the first conscious shock. So why could this man not enter the kingdom of heaven? Because he was not in a position to give himself the first conscious shock. Because he had much property. Well, that's code for he was not poor in spirit. He was rich in himself. He had great ideas about himself. He thought he was a really good guy. What is it that he said? Well, obey the commandments. He said, oh, I've done all that since my youth. What could I possibly lack? I'm perfect in all these things. I mean, come on. Anyone who has observed themselves at all wouldn't dare say that. Would they? Could you? 
Would you dare say that? Would you dare say, well, I'm perfect, I've made it. I'm here to judge other people now. God put me here to judge other people. I'm supposed to sort out them, fix them. That's what I'm here for. I mean, it's absurd. And of course, we know people who would do that, who would say that. But we're not them. At least I hope you're not. Well, you're not right now, anyway. <laughs> you probably, probably have to go back to sleep before you can do that again. But that's okay, because identification does put us to sleep. As Gurdjie said, identifying is the greatest enemy that we have to overcome. It is through being always identified that we are kept asleep and therefore have to live in a world where nothing can ever go in the right way as regards the interests of man. So, this rich young man that we talk about, this rich ruler that is talked about in this story, is clearly identified. He's turned outward, passively, through the five senses. He's not actively, consciously going through the five senses. His attention is attracted by things out there. He's not giving his attention to anything out there. It's taking it. So he's turned toward life through the five senses rather than actively turning inward through self-remembering. Self-remembering, you remember, is the first conscious shock. So he's not giving himself the first conscious shock. He has no attention left over. He is already full. He's already rich. He's not poor in spirit. He has no need. What do I lack? He says, what do I lack? I don't get it. How come I don't have eternal life? What am I still lacking? It's really a rhetorical question. He doesn't really expect an answer. See, there's a button on the forehead of mechanical man, and under it is tattooed, push to run. The button is identification, and it's pushed by life events. Anything in life, anything in life can come and push that button on your forehead. And you start to whir into motion. Your thoughts go, your feelings go, your body goes. And it's automatic. It's completely mechanical. And if you think that's not true, well then, enjoy that. I mean, really, enjoy that illusion for a while. Because sooner or later, if you keep listening to these ideas, if you keep trying to apply them to yourself, if you keep trying to look at yourself as you're directed to do it, sooner or later, that illusion is going to be dispelled. Sooner or later, there's going to be a hole punched in that, and all of the illusion juice is going to leak out and it's going to deflate. So enjoy it while you've got it, if you can. Becoming conscious means occupying our internal world, not our external world. Oh, we occupy, really around the house, it's occupied. There are pictures on the walls, family pictures, there's furniture, there's lights, all the things. It's clearly an occupied house. It's not a model home, it's not an unoccupied house, it's an occupied home, isn't it? And it's clear that... There are people who are identified with this home who live here. You can tell by the pictures, family pictures and things like that. But becoming conscious is a different story. Occupying our internal world, which is the path to the kingdom of heaven, is a narrow way with very few people on it. You're not going to find a lot of people in life doing this. I don't care what anyone says. It's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen because that's not how we are. And we have to discover how we are before we can do anything about it. As we are, we occupy the outer world. Becoming more conscious internally means we begin to shift from the outer to the inner. This is a very painful shift. It's scary, as we talked about before, how difficult it is to lose your identity, to start to lose your grip on what you have taken yourself to be. It's terrifying. And we start grasping at straws, anything, to keep us afloat, to keep that illusion afloat. Well, shifting from the outer to the inner literally separates us from the imaginary eye with which we've 
been identified throughout all of our lives. Though we can have a flash of increased consciousness, and we do often, occupying that expanded state doesn't happen instantly, does it? How many wonderful flashes of consciousness, and they maybe lasted for hours or days, but what good did it do you when it was gone? <laughs> when it dissipated, when you slipped back down into your ordinary state of consciousness, yes, it's still up there waiting for you, but you've got to climb back up into it and you've forgotten the way. Because the way is turning inward, but we're turned outward. Identification with life stuff and events is very powerful. It could be like escaping Earth's gravitational pull and exiting the atmosphere. Where is all the fuel used when they send a rocket out of the atmosphere? It's all used in escaping the gravitational pull of the Earth. Most of it is used. They have like three-stage rockets. Well, two stages are just fuel. They use all that fuel just to escape the atmosphere. Once they've escaped the atmosphere, it's easy peasy lemon squeezy. There's no big deal. You know, it's not that hard. They don't use that much fuel because there's nothing resisting it. The imaginary eye, which is the skin that covers the many eyes that life has spawned in us, delights in unpleasant things. Think about this. I want you to pay attention to this. It delights in unpleasant things. That in us which is occupied by life, see, there's something in us that's occupied by life, and it's all these little eyes that delight in unpleasant things. They long for sensational things to happen. Bad news sells newspapers. What gets ratings up on CNN or anything else? Is it good news? No, it's bad news. Auto accidents cause traffic jams so that people can slow down to rubberneck gore. Maybe we'll get to see a dead person. Maybe we'll get to see somebody with their arm up. Maybe we'll get to see some blood. Ooh, what is it? When we don't think those thoughts, but you know as well as I do, when there's a traffic accident, you're going to be jammed up. And it's not because the road's jammed up. It's because people slowed down to look. Why? Because they wanted to help? No. Because they wanted to see something sensational. That's why. Because we're full of little eyes, little mechanical eyes, with no real understanding, with no real being whatsoever, that only want to muddle around in little negative things, little mechanical things. Morris Nichols said, look how people's faces light up when they begin to hear something unpleasant. This is a form of being identified. It is certainly not a form of remembering oneself. Okay, so let's just look at it this way. Look, you tell me, which side is it on? Is it on the side of the false personality or is it on the side of your essential self that is developing and loving your neighbor and so on and so forth. Which side is it on? Is it on the side of light or is it on the side of darkness? Is it in shadows or is it in the light? It's clearly not a form of remembering oneself. Lighting up when we hear unpleasant things, ooh, spreading them. You know, you hear something unpleasant, it's not enough you just get to hear it, you've got to share it. I've just got to tell somebody else. This is not remembering yourself, okay? And if you think it is, well, think again. If you think occupying a higher state is easy, consider this. It's in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. And it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. 
And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now... Who will own what you have prepared? So if you think that it's easy to let go of identification, and I don't care what it is, if you have a shopping cart and stuff in it, okay? Let's say you don't own a home. You just push around a shopping cart and you live under an underpass. People kill for what's in those shopping carts. They kill each other for that junk. So identification has nothing to do with how valuable something may be to someone. If you're identified with it, it is you. It is you, and you will defend it like you're defending your life, which means attack other people or lose your life for its sake. Dumb, but only dumb when you're a little bit awake and you can see what it is. Try to see with what you have been most identified with today or yesterday. If we can't take these ideas and give them some kind of a pragmatic handle, something that we can actually do, then what good are they? We can sit around forever in groups and talk about how we all know this and we all know that. But that's not the point of this. This is where there's something that we have to do. Try to see what you've been most identified with today or yesterday. I pick today or yesterday. Today is short. It's still morning here. So I add yesterday because you need a little something to work on. So just try and see what it is that really occupied you, okay? What has your mind been occupied with? What have your feelings been occupied with? What have you been occupied with today and yesterday, excluding this time here? What is it that you have been occupied with? Where has your identification been? Try and see what that is. If you are successful, you'll need shaping. Now, shaping is a behavior modification term that they use for children who are learning disabled. Behavior modification. And a child who finds, get up and get ready for school, too overwhelming. And what they do is they shape the task to get up and go to school into smaller bite-sized pieces. Well, first, pull your right leg out of bed. Now get your left leg out of bed. Okay, now put your slippers on. Just put your right slipper on. Okay, now put your left slipper on. And they shape it until the child can actually then finally get ready for school. And so this behavior modification technique you can use for yourself. Try shaping it. Try to separate from one or two particular forms of being identified after you observe them in yourself. So if you've got, if you can't think of anything, oh my God, I've been identified with everything. It's the holidays and blah, 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 blah. It's just been crazy. But try and find one or two things. Just pick one or two things. It's not that important what they are. Just pick one or two things. Particular forms of identification, particular forms of being identified. And you've got to make sure that you have observed them in yourself. It can't be something someone else told you. It has to be based on your own self-observation. Make the aim to remember yourself at such times. Okay, so let's say you were driving over here and you got identified with the traffic drivers being impolite or inconsiderate. Or let's say a simple thing like the driver's not using their turn signals. Some people get really wound up over that. Or somebody going too slow in front of you. Some people get really wound up over that. Or someone behind you thinking you're going too slow, so they tailgate you. Some people get really wound up about that. Then at such times, 
Make it a name to remember yourself. So, okay, I had this thing where if somebody tailgated me, it was annoying to me. And so I read one day, someone said, well, just pull over and let them go past. And I thought, what? What a, what a concept. So I tried it. So people be tailgating me. I just pull over and let them pass. They go racing by and I get back on the road and drive on. And it was just fine. I realized suddenly, like, you know, that took care of everything. All I had to do was swallow my pride, stop being identified with, you have no right, stop the eternal consider. You have no right to, you shouldn't be tailgating me, blah, 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 blah. Put all that aside, just pull over and let them do what they want. Like, it's not hurting me. I just let them go by. It diffused the entire situation. Now, once you make it an aim to remember yourself at such times, one of the first things you're going to find is you won't be able to remember yourself for long. You may be able to remember yourself for a little while, but not for long. Your efforts will quickly become stale and mechanical. Soon, you'll no longer understand what you're doing. The reason I bring up the tailgating and pulling over is because I started to tell Connie. She gets annoyed if people tailgate her. And so I said, baby, just pull over. It's not a big deal. Just pull over. Let them go past. If they want to go racing down the road, let them. It's no big deal. And she started to do that. You know, just pull over. And it's like, you can feel everything in the car. Just go, ah. It was like a sigh. You know, like, ah, oh, finally, you know, that tension's gone. But it doesn't work every time. It soon becomes mechanical. Unless you remember and understand why you're doing what you're doing. Don't be alarmed or discouraged when you don't understand what you're doing anymore. This is normal. It's normal to people in our condition. I don't know what it's like for the other people in the conscious circle of humanity. We have absolutely nothing to do with them. We don't know anything about them. Or so little that it may as well all be imagination, really. All we know is what they tell us. And we can't even count on what we hear. Down here, where we are, we got so much mud in our ears, it's difficult to know what we're actually hearing. Try to make effort in some other area until it becomes mechanical as well. So if something becomes stale for you and it's not working anymore, great, no problem. Just shift to another area. Just look at something else in yourself that needs to be worked on. If it's that difficult to find things that need to be worked on, then ask someone in your family. <laughs> ask someone close to you, well, what could I work on? They could probably give you a couple of ideas and just being able to do that in and of itself is going to be hard work. So try to make effort in some other area until it too becomes mechanical. To do this work properly, Ospensky said this, we must have many irons in the fire. It's not enough to just work in one area or this area or that area. You've got to be able to work in a couple of different areas at the same time. You've got to be able to employ a couple of centers, your moving center, your intellectual center, your emotional center. You've got to be able to employ at least two of those, preferably three. You've got to be able to employ at least two of those if you want to develop. So there it is. The idea is to occupy higher states of consciousness. You do this by moving out of these lower states of consciousness. And the way you move out of these lower states of consciousness is you stop identifying with them. You stop being attached to them. And when you value the higher states more than the lower states, you will drift there like a hot air balloon or like a balloon full of helium. You will just rise to them. They will attract you if that's where your heart is. Because where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And if your treasure is in these ideas that come from a conscious circle of humanity, these esoteric ideas, then you will gravitate toward them if you keep your attention fixed on them.
Cosmic 